0: Eight years of doing church together. It's so exciting, shining light in dark places and connecting with the community. Last weekend, I got to be in Goldsboro, North Carolina at the launch of a brand new church called Canvas Church. Uh, Patrick, thank you for preaching for me last week, did a great job, Um, but I got to be there for a brand new church and it was so cool to see basically a bunch of strangers show up because they saw like an ad somewhere or got a postcard in the mail and they showed up and they're like, I guess we'll do church now. And to see some brand new friends connecting, it was exciting watching their core group who had been meeting in houses for a few months and to see how excited they were to set up and welcome the community. And it really brought back so many positive memories for me about our journey as a church family. I remember fondly the days when our church family was eight, 10, 12, 15, 20 people. We were meeting in living rooms. We were meeting in in public parks and renting places all over the place. And we were setting up places with uh, service opportunities with groups in town who did good things for people in need. It was so cool uh, to be in those early phases and to see the, the, the excitement of a new thing as we began to connect with each other, connect with people who were broken and connected them with the wholeness that their God brings. For us to learn as a community what it means to repent from our sin, and turn our hearts towards God, like that's a big deal. But as we saw that happening in families as moms and dads and husbands and wives and kids got their stuff together and started to live together in community, what does it mean to have our life changed by God? And uh, it's been cool, it's been an awesome eight years. It has been probably the craziest eight years that I can imagine. Uh, for me personally, it's been both the hardest eight years of my life. I turned 40 in January, so in all those decades, these last eight years have easily been the most difficult. Also, the most rewarding. To get to see what God can do through people who are willing to just give it give it a go. So it was September 22nd, 2013, when we had our first public service. Here in this room, uh, you know that s- since then we left and came back, There's a whole story there. Um, But with all of that, with Goldsboro last weekend and with this right now, I just got a question. Why do we do this? Why? Why do church? Why gather together? Why go through the effort of setting things up and being here on Sundays? Why go through the effort of like serving in the community? Why? Why does it matter? Um, There's probably a lot of answers to that question. But this morning as I get started, I, I think one of the main answers that I'm drawn to is a moment that Jesus had that I want to take you to. I said, it'll be on the screen here behind me. Get your Bible out. We're going to be looking at some other places in a second. But I want to go to this, this moment with Jesus and his disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, when Jesus kind of kicks off the mission for what he wants his followers to do. We call this the Great Commission. And he says this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus had a mission for his followers. He came into some incredible things. He proved that he was God in the flesh. He gave his life on the cross. He rose from the dead. That was incredible. But the people that believed that, the people that saw that, he had a mission for them. We can read about what these followers did in the book of Acts, like the whole book of Acts in the New Testament. But basically, they took that mission and they made it into a movement that we call the church. And say so they do that. They go and, and they tell people about the story of Jesus coming to earth, God in the flesh, and how he did these amazing signs and wonders and about how he eventually gave his life on a Roman crucifixion on a cross, but how he rose from the dead and how over 500 people saw him alive after the fact. And people began to believe this. And then God's Holy Spirit came into their lives and gave them power and gave them uh, like clarity of thought and gave them the ability to share the story. And this the movement begins to grow. I mean, not a trickle growth, like we see a lot of things happening today, like an exponential growth by the thousands people are coming to God, being baptized and taught to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. This movement takes off. Those people's lives and families and communities were utterly changed. And it blows my mind that here I stand today, over 2,000 years later, in front of a group of people that are part of that same movement. Movement, that's powerful. Like what other thing has really lasted that long with that much power and still gaining momentum and growing in the world? So for the last four weeks, we've been in this teaching series called Better Together. And we've talked about a lot of the ways that being in community together is good. And it's been a cool journey. I'd encourage you to go check it out on our podcast. We, we actually archive the videos on YouTube as well. So check that out. But each week, we've looked at different ways that as community, we are better. We, we, we function better. We accomplish better. We're more efficient together. And today, I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate our eighth birthday than to talk about how we are better together in accomplishing the mission of the church we are better together in accomplishing the mission of the church, and that's the big idea today. Um, so if you got your Bible, we're going to mostly be unpacking a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. This happens to be one of my all-time favorite passages in the whole Bible, uh, and you can probably tell because you're probably like, I think you've taught on this before. Yeah, I definitely have, and you'll recognize some things, but there's some new stuff too that it has really hit me this week. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be actually going from verse uh, 1 all the way to verse 10, okay? So a big chunk of 1 Peter chapter 2, if you need a Bible, we've got free ones we giveaway back there near the door on the shelf. Uh, you can borrow one just for the service, or you can take it home and keep it forever if you need one. Um, and through this teaching, what I want to do is go through this whole passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 10. And I also want to kind of parallel do something a little bit fun. I want to talk about some lessons that I've learned in church planting over the last eight years. Because I think they actually run really parallel with what this passage is doing. The first one I think a lot of you will really, really relate to. This is the first lesson that we get uh, from from the last eight years of doing Venture Church. This is the lesson before we read the passage. God doesn't need a building to have a temple. Let that sink in. God doesn't need a building to have a temple. Most churches have buildings. In fact, a lot of times we're like, where's the church? What we're asking is, where's the building? Let's get into that. Check out 1 Peter 2, 1 through 6. Actually, we should be doing 1 through 3 first. Peter starts the chapter off by saying, therefore... Rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, and like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so that's how the pat- this chapter starts out. What Peter starts out with is a reminder of these are some things in our life you've got to get rid of. He says, rid yourself of these things, malice and deceit and all kinds of these other things. You need to crave pure spiritual milk because at the heart of most of the teaching in the entire Bible is this idea of turn your heart to God men for the men's retreat that's coming up in a few weeks that's going to be our whole focus that weekend what does it mean to direct our hearts towards god and if you were to summarize any major teaching of the whole bible it would probably be done in one word repent like turn your hearts to god go to a place where you can seek god in your life and so that's what he wants to start out this this whole teaching on the church in in chapter two um, because god wants to be among his people And we see this all throughout the old testament and there's a lot of different ways that can manifest and we could probably do like a whole teaching series on the different ways god is among his people in the bible it's a pretty pretty cool idea but in order to be among his people he needed them to kind of sanctify themselves and there's a lot of ways that they did that and and one way that became the most prominent throughout the whole old testament story was through the temple I mean, so you got this building that's set up, but it became the hub of like where God's presence was, uh, you know, perceived to be. And that's where I would go to worship and that's where I would go to give, you know, offerings and that's where I would go to uh, have someone pray for me and that's where I would go to give sacrifices to God. There'd be a lot of things that they would do at the temple And, and the temple was great, you know, throughout the season when the temple was God's, one of God's big things, it was great. It was lots of goodness in it. It was God's idea. But also there came this perception and it's something that I think we see in the church as well, and people begin to associate that place with God. That's where he is. As if he was somehow locked up in that building and couldn't get out. Oh, we gotta go to God. Hey, you doing okay in there, buddy? Hope everything's okay in the temple. We're gonna go out here to the rest of the world now. Now, that's never been true. But that's the perception we get when we kind of associate a place with our connection with God. And that when you fast forward to Jesus, to the church, a new emphasis is placed on the fact that Jesus has never been locked up in a box. Uh, that in fact... He's active all around the world and his temple is actually moving among his people. That's where God is. He's with his people. He's around the world, which gets us to verse four of our passage in First Peter uh, chapter, chapter two. He's gonna use a metaphor here where he talks about stones a lot. I mean, you're smart. You can figure it out, but I wanna give you a heads up. He's gonna call Jesus a living stone and he's gonna call you and me stones and he's, gonna, he's giving this metaphor about building a building. We pick up in 1 Peter chapter two, verse four. He says, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, and he's going to quote the Old Testament here from Isaiah, see, I lay a stone in Zion zion is a nickname for the city of jerusalem see i lay a stone in zion a chosen and precious cornerstone And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame so he's quoting from isaiah he's talking about this concept of a, a, a messiah i'm not even going to get into all of that teaching right now but this idea that like god has a plan let me summarize the whole the whole passage that we just read in a different way basically god chose jesus to build a spiritual house he chose jesus to build a, build a spiritual house but the world rejected him. The world continues to reject him. But God chose him to be the foundation of that spiritual house. He used the word cornerstone. Did you catch that? A cornerstone is like a foundational block in building up a building. And so, he uses that imagery. Jesus is the cornerstone. And then he says, "And you also are like living stones." Whereas Jesus is the living cornerstone, we, those in accepting his grace, those living in his kingdom, are also stones. And he shows this picture of people being built up like a wall. Uh, Picture like um, a human pyramid. You ever do that? Like if, I don't know, if you did cheerleading as a kid or maybe you just were a kid and you like building pyramids out of humans. Um, Picture that. Okay, so you got a bunch of people and there's a row of people and then up on their back is a row of people, a smaller row and a smaller row and a smaller row. Okay, you can picture that. Now here's, here's the analogy that I want to draw from that because in that human pyramid, it's a wall of human people, okay? And everyone in that pyramid is relying on everyone else to not mess this up, okay? Because it's going to hurt real bad, especially if the dude on the bottom is going to mess this thing up. And there is, uh, there's a strength in that, because like the stronger people if you're near one of the stronger people like you can kind of lean on them for strength a little bit they, they're going to carry more weight than others and if you're a, a weaker person you're going to need to rely on the people around you to hold up their end of the deal and so it's the human pyramid and so when I picture this like spiritual house being built out of living stones which is human people what I picture is like me and you the church we are the walls We are the interior walls, the exterior walls. Maybe we're the rafters and floor joists. Maybe we're the, I don't know, cabinetry and stuff like that. We're stacking on one another to build a spiritual house. And in that picture, uh, the passage says, you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in case you didn't pick up on this, let me make sure that we're there. Peter's making a reference to the temple here, okay? Like, th- this is a big deal, especially to the first readers. They would have gathered, okay, a spiritual place of worship. That's going to be our temple. And he says, okay, but this is not going to be a temple made with brick and mortar and wood and stuff like that. It's going to be made out of people. You are the blocks that we're building out. But then he says this thing. You're being, in, being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So not only are you the temple, you're also the priest serving in the temple that's crazy because for a long time to be a priest you had to be from a certain family and then a certain like pedigree and caliber and then you had specific jobs that you could do only certain people could be priests and the word priest has been carried into other religion and other things and so you know we kind of have an idea of what a priest is someone that's kind of you know maybe a little bit on a pedestal or wears a special you know garment i don't know and they have special jobs and the job of a priest is to be an intermediary between a person and god so I'm available when you need to offer sacrifices. I'm available when you want to give offerings or when you want to say prayers or be prayed for. And what Peter is saying about the church is that's all of us. I'm a person who, though, I, you know, I guess my job is that I'm a pastor at a church. But I'm the kind of person, and many of you know this because you've experienced this with me, I'm not the person that wants you to call me Pastor Chris. That's a tradition in a lot of churches, and I'm fine with it. It's cool with me. But... Uh, I personally don't feel that I need any special title because I believe scripturally we're a priesthood of believers. Everyone's on the same page. I'm no more special than anybody else. One of my giftedness maybe is preparing a lesson and teaching it, but there are people right here in the audience who have skills and gifts from God that I don't have, and so therefore we nurture and feed into one another, and so what this has been called is the priesthood of believers. Everybody is involved. And what's really cool about that is if we are the body, I mean, we are the temple, we are the building, built of living stones, and we're the priests, you know, serving in that temple, we can go into the world and we can be intermediaries between people and God. We can meet people where they are. We can pray with them and for them. One of the big roles of the priests was the sacrifice in the Old Testament. We can lead people to the sacrifice. That's Jesus Like Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice and he covers our sin with his blood and he connects us with God through his resurrection. And so like you and me, every single one of us, you can go to your coworker, you can go to your neighbor, you can go to your family member. If you're a parent, you can go to your child. If you're a child, you can go to your parent. You can say, let me introduce you to Jesus. We get to play the role of the priest and we get to be the temple. God doesn't need a building to have a temple, which is really convenient for us because we ain't got no building uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're in a gymnasium right now. We're renting this space from the YMCA, and through our eight years, we have had a lot of different places where we've met. We started in a few people's living rooms. Uh, in 2012, we started that, and then eventually we started meeting in a clubhouse at an apartment complex that we that we, uh, that we rented for a little while. We had a group meeting at UNCW for a while. We set up service things at public parks and all kinds of places. We met anywhere and everywhere where they had a place where we could just put a chair. Eventually, we started meeting here in the YMCA, and in 2013, we gathered here for our big launch you know we had sent out mailers and we had told people we we're going to be here and on that day 100 first-time guests showed up okay for that group of 25 of us we were like what and like a lot of those people stuck around and you are some of those people that are in this room right now that is so cool and then that group began to you know to connect with this place and it was really cool to be at the Y until that one morning we showed up and it was on fire and there were fire trucks outside i don't know if you realize you might not know if you're new Uh, this building was destroyed by fire in 2015 okay and so then we're like okay cool and that's what we really learned okay we don't have to have a building to do this and we moved around we went to a park one week we ended up at alderman elementary school where some of you connected with us for the first time there we were there for a couple of years until the administration there decided that we needed to have you know part ways um You know, our people are not gonna call your people. And so we moved on. And and then for a summer in 2017, we were in a gymnasium that we rented from a a local church. And then we moved to the movie theater where again, some of you met us there. And so we were at the AMC movie theater. And then in 2019, we were invited to come back to the Y in this beautiful new facility. We're like, yay, it's permanent. COVID-19, no. Okay, so 2020, we didn't even meet anywhere. We were on the internet, okay? And people were in their pajamas or if you had pants on, good for you. And like you're watching on a laptop. God doesn't need a building to have a temple though because you are the living stones and you are a holy priesthood to give spiritual offerings to the people in our community and the people that live in your house. That's the first lesson I learned in eight years. we got to get back to our passage. The church is people. But here's the second lesson I've learned in eight years. You ready for this? Loving people is hard. Loving people is difficult. And this isn't news to God. Uh, He, I mean the very first people he created immediately disappointed him. So he's like, okay, well, I knew that was coming but the, the nation of Israel were constantly forgetting what they were supposed to do to honor him and even the church. We have a pretty spotty track record, guys, if you want to go back and look at church history. there's we Loving people is hard, and nobody knows that better than our God. So let's get back to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to pick up at verse 7. He says, now, to those who believe, to those who believe this stone is precious, I'm trying to read this in such a way so that it makes sense, because that's a kind of confusing passage. So we just talked about this. Jesus is a living stone. And for those who believe in the living stone, he's precious. We just talked about that. It's beautiful. He's at, we're a temple, we have all these things going on. But to those who do not believe, and he's about to quote two passages from the Old Testament. So, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That was one belief, and we just kind of talked about that second one. He quotes another one that we're not going to get into, but he says, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And these are both Old Testament prophecies that just kind of point to a Messiah and ultimately to Jesus. And, uh, but those who don't believe in Jesus and his plan, they stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. And so just, just camp out there for just a minute. Do you remember what Jesus said in his, in his big commission to the church? He said, go into the world and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. But some people aren't going to obey. Some people are not going to be up for Jesus. They're not going to care. And so Peter says they, they stumble because they don't believe and they don't obey. Now, Jesus says that we are supposed to love people. We're supposed to go out and show people the way to him. But loving people is hard. It's very difficult. Not everyone agrees that Jesus is the way. Not everyone's even interested in talking about it. Not everyone agrees that they should do anything particular with their life. Not everyone agrees uh, on who God is. I have a friend that this week just told me, uh, hey, I've decided that I'm an atheist. I've been friends with this guy for a while, and it hurt to hear that. And uh, honestly, after our conversation, I didn't even know what to say next because it kind of, you know, sometimes conversations lead to a dead end and you're just like, ah. And so it hurts. It hurts to see people maybe making different decisions than, than you make. Loving people hurts because I'm not perfect. Um, I, <laughs> I get mad at people. <laughs> there are some people that I don't like. You with me? Okay, I love people. I mean... Most people. (laughs) Right? And it's difficult to love people because some people just get on your last stinking nerve. (laughs) But loving people is what we're called to do. Loving people is hard because people let us down. I mean, how many second chances do you gotta give that person? Jesus says we'll keep on doing it. We're like, Oh yeah, but you're Jesus. Like, maybe we can do like just five, three, two's good, one. Sometimes it's hard because people are haters. Uh, When we first moved here and we started doing some mailers to the community, uh, it was good. That's actually how those like 100 people showed up and found us. But did you know also that uh, I got some hate mail, Uh, a lot, several voicemails left on our church phone number. One person took a postcard, tore it up into like a thousand pieces and put it in an envelope and mailed it to me. That was nice. I was real thankful. The postcard, by the way, said, give church a try. Church for people who don't like church. That was the two sides of the postcard. I don't know what the message was that they were sending. It wasn't positive. Uh, one person mailed me a picture of the Pope. I don't know what to do with that, but it, and, it, and, it was, and it was a letter or something about heresy. I don't know. Um, and then someone wrote me a, a, an email that was like, uh, you know, if you really cared about our city, you wouldn't waste all your money on postcards. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, what. Why are you so mad? Some people are just haters, and you know, loving people is hard. Loving people is hard, and loving people is hard for a lot of reasons. Um, But Jesus' greatest commandment was to love your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He illustrated that by telling a story about a person that was clearly not liked by the people in the story, and then that's the Good Samaritan story. Read it. So it's not just like love the people that you like. It's love everyone. Jesus says, pray for your people who persecute you. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. This is a message of unconditional love. And sometimes it's hard because people are crazy. Myself included, as my wife and kids. But God knows all about loving people that are hard to love. Have you read Romans chapter five, verse six through eight? I want to read it to you. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Loving people is hard, and God knows all about that, but he loves us anyway. And I think that God would agree with us that loving people is hard. That's my second lesson that I've learned. God doesn't need a building to have a temple. Loving people is hard. But more importantly, I've learned the third lesson, which is this. God's grace is greater. As hard as it is to love people and as hard as I am to love, God's grace transcends all of that. He's willing to forgive us no matter what. And as many times as people will turn their hearts to him, he will forgive them. He will give them grace. He will give them a new start. You know, each of us has had the opportunity to rise above our own brokenness and to be made whole again by the grace of Jesus. And if you don't know about that opportunity, I hope that you'll hear about it for the first time today and start to process that. Let me show you what that looks like. Uh, One thing that I love to do is work on old cars. I love working on cars. I love mechanic style work. And as such, I have spent a lot of time at Cape Fear Pick and Pool. Anybody know about, can I show some love to Cape Fear Pick and Pool? Anybody? Yeah, all right. So if you don't know what Cape Fear Pick and Pool Pool is, it's a salvage yard. It's full of old wrecked cars. And you're out there and basically you pay like a dollar and you go in and then you can go and find the car that's kind of like the one you're working on and you can tear it apart and take pieces out of it and take it home with you for pennies on the dollar it's super cheap you can get cheap parts there love cape fear pick and pull uh this this sermon was not sponsored by cape fear pick and pull but they've helped me out of a lot of a lot of vines but this is what this is what grace looks like because we are all broken we encounter brokenness in our life and basically sitting right here is like cape fear pick and pull there are hundreds of broken useless cars out there they are busted. They are useless. Now, I know that some of you are more impressive than others. There are also some pretty cool cars out at Cape Fear, pick and Pool, but it's still a broken car. There was a time where that lot of cars, each one was worth thousands of dollars. So there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cars out there, but right now they're worth pennies on the dollar. Many of them are worth zero dollars because they're stripped clean and you can't drive them. God's grace comes in and like that, transforms you from a salvage car to a brand new car, fully refurbished and off the lot new, and having all the value, maybe more value than you had before. That's what grace God grace is God's grace is all about. And so God's grace says that you can be made new. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Second Corinthians five seventeen, which says, "Therefore, if any of you is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone; the new is here. You're made new." In Christ, that's what God's grace does. He doesn't need a building to have a temple. Loving people is hard, and he knows that. But God's grace is greater. That's the third lesson that I've learned. Um, Over the last eight years, I have seen so much grace in the life of our church family. And I wanna tell you a few of those stories, but before I do, I wanna wrap up our passage in in 1 Peter 2. Because this is how God sees you, through his grace. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might be, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. Now we've spent a lot of time through the years studying this passage and, and there's a lot of really good stuff there. We've talked about the way that God sees us. You're a royal priesthood, you're uh, you're his chosen special possession. All these things. We're not going to talk about that today. We're not going to focus on that. We also saw that awesome passage in there. Every single week we say, "Let's go shine light in dark places." That's the last thing that someone says from this stage every single week. And so there's this passage that says, "He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light." We're not going to talk about that this morning, though we totally could. Today I want to focus on the very last part of that passage. We can put it back up there. It, it says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, eight years ago, there were a few of us that might have called ourselves Venture churches, Church and we were meeting in people's living rooms and, and we were doing the church. We were doing good things. But in many ways we could say that at that time we weren't a people. We were just meeting each other. We were figuring things out. We decided to gather weekly. We decided to serve together. We decided to meet in each other's homes and share meals together. We decided to carry one another's burdens. And now, eight years later, I can look back and say that now we are a people. We're family. We're in this thing. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Now, I want to clarify, because I don't ever want to say something Scripture's not saying. I don't know that's how Peter would apply this passage. But when I read it, I see big neon sign that says, guys, we're a people, (laughs) we've been doing this together we know each other's stuff we've carried each other's burden and in our time together God has used his grace in so many ways I can think about dozens of people who came to us while they were living in major addiction and and found support and freedom from their addiction many of you are in this room today we've seen about 60 people give their life to Jesus in Christian baptism in the last eight years walking them down to the beach most of them at Johnny Mercer Pier and many others in different places around and it's been awesome by the way did did you see that we had a baptism last week? Richard Goblin was baptized into Christ last week. Praise God for that. And so it keeps happening. It keeps happening. People are giving in their lives to Jesus and, and that's God's grace at work. Do you know that together, we've been able to share financially in stupid generous ways. Like I'm talking, we, we have a phrase we say, we wanna be hilariously generous. And I, I don't have all the numbers. I was trying to crunch them a little bit last night. But we've had like, in the last I think two years, I think we've given away like 30 or $40,000 through, I mean, various means. That's incredible for the small church family that we are because we wanna be hilariously generous. We wanna be a people who is generous like our God is generous. And that is solely through the grace of God because I can tell you about a time three or four years ago where every time we met with the finance team, they were like, Chris, I don't know if we're gonna do paychecks this month, but we're gonna try. You know what I'm saying? And so like, that is God's grace showing up in major ways. And every year we give away more than we did the year before and that's continued for the entire time we've been a church. In the last eight years this is really cool talking about god's grace and amazingness that in the last year i eight years i've had the opportunity to officiate the marriages the weddings of nine couples who come to church with us nine that's a lot it's 18 people that's a lot that's a lot of marriages and wow and other than a few who have moved away uh most of them are still active in our church that is so cool now here's an even cooler part of that story talking about sharing life together and being a people two of those couples met because of Venture Church. There are two married couples in the world today who are doing quite well, I can tell you, who if we were not a people, they would not be a people. One of those couples just had their second child. There are two humans in the world who exist because we are a people. How cool is that? Because he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light and made us into a people. There are celebrations. But when you're a people, there are also sad times. Uh, I mentioned the fire that happened here in 2015. And in retrospect, as terrible as that was, that wasn't even the worst thing that we've had to go through. You might remember Hurricane Florence, ripped through our city. It was horrible. Two of our families had their houses flooded and it was awesome to see our church family rally around that. Did you remember? And if you didn't know, let me tell you, our church founded a nonprofit called Disaster Assistance Relief Teams of Wilmington, and that today, years after the storm, they are still living out the mission of helping to rebuild people's houses from the storm. That's still happening, because we're a people. And that's what God does. Uh, I also have got to take a chance to remember three of our very own that we've lost, that have passed away, Rita and Annette and Bob. And it's sad to see people go. But that's what it means to be a people. And so, the fourth lesson that I've learned in eight years is that we are family. We are family. And it's been an amazing eight years together, being the temple of God, serving as priests in His temple in this city, loving people even though it's hard, living in His grace, and being family. We are better together to accomplish the mission of the church. And we're just getting started. As a wrap up, I want to invite you to plug in deeper with our church family. Uh, first of all, if you've never made the choice to, to live for Jesus, today could be your day. Scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we, and, and we, and we turn our hearts to him... We're told to uh, be baptized in obedience in his name where we receive forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we can start that new life with Jesus. And maybe you're just starting today. Like you're here for the first time. Like, I don't know, I just came. Uh, Maybe you've been coming for a while. You've been thinking about it. Can I invite you to a conversation? Maybe like Richard, you can get baptized. Uh, We've got a communion station near the back, and today I want to ask some of those leaders that have in the past been able to talk to people. If you'll just meet back there at that communion table, if you're here today and you want to talk about giving your life to Jesus, if you want to talk about baptism, go back there, talk to someone at the back communion table, and uh, and let's let's make that happen for you today. But for the rest of us, and you included. There are great ways. In the next five or six weeks, we've got a ton going on as a church family. And I want to just breeze through these things. This is going to kind of seem like announcements. It is, but it's also a chance for you to just plug in and know what it means to accomplish the mission of the church together. First of all, today. Today we've got our birthday party, and it's going to be at Smith Creek Park, and I hope that you'll come out from three to five. I just found out a minute ago. I'll talk about it later, but we've got some food that's been uh, miraculously given. So there's not, we were just going to have cookie cake and ice cream and now there's gonna be a whole meal so that's pretty cool Uh, but come out at three o'clock for that I'll talk about that in a minute today also we're doing our erase the red Erase the Red is our annual kind of drive to build volunteers back up. After re-entering from the the shutdown, we, uh, man, our volunteer base is still struggling. It's struggling. This morning, uh, we had a pretty small team. And so over here on these three boards, there are some green spots and there are some red spots. The red spots are the spots that we need help. And guys, our mission as a church, one of the biggest uh, vehicles we have for fulfilling that mission is what we do here on Sunday morning. And so you can be part of that and you can sign up to serve with the kids, you can sign up to work with technical stuff, to be a musician, to just make some coffee, to work with the host team, help set up chairs, like all kinds of things like that. Will you please stop by that board, especially if you've been attending here for a while, Come be part of what we're doing and go check out, let's erase the red together. That's the whole idea of that name, that we want the red spots gone. Um, so that, that's happening. Uh, also tomorrow, this is also this week, tomorrow starts our love agent week. Uh, there's going to be a video that's going to play about that in just a minute, but uh, that starts tomorrow and it's an opportunity to strategically love people on your own every day this week. Take part in that. And then a couple of events coming up that I want you to know about. We've got our ladies retreat and our men's retreat. The first weekend in October, which is going to be here before we know it, October 1st and 2nd, the ladies are headed up to Camp Kirkwood uh, where they're going to do their retreat. It's going to be awesome. You can sign up for the ladies' retreat. All ladies are invited to come by going to jointheventure.com. That's our website. Up in the menu, click the button that says Events. That gets you to all of our upcoming events including some of these other things that I've talked about. And uh, it will get you uh, a chance to sign up for the ladies' retreat. Men's retreat, same thing, October 8th and 9th. We've got our men's retreat coming up. There's a group of guys that's been planning it for several months. Um, listen, I want to encourage all of you ladies and guys to sign up soon for one important reason we need to get our T-shirts ordered, okay? And so, uh, look, the, the big bragging right of the, of the retreat is that you get to wear the T-shirt forever after that. But you can't get a T-shirt if you don't sign up soon enough for us to order it. So I know it's a little bit of a short window, but I'm telling you, coming out of shutdown, it's been hard to get the wheels rolling again. And so please help us out. Go ahead and get registered for those things. Uh, October 17th, there's not a slide for this one, but October 17th is our Chili Cook-Off and brownie, th- brownie throwdown. There's a lot of good things coming up, and we've got some other things planned for the end of the month of October. We are better together to accomplish the mission of the church, And it's not fun to do it by yourself. you got to get involved, and it's not the same without you. People need to know about God's love, experience His grace, and be called out of darkness and walk in His light. And together we can play our part. Happy birthday, Venture Church. Let's pray.